Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. So we're back, friends. We're thankful to be back. And um, we are back to our series. We're continuing our series, The Present Truth and the Three Angels' Messages. Um, in fact, this was the series that I was able to um, preach there and sing on this. And so um, just before I go in, I um, just wanted to show you a few pictures. Uh, there I am in the island of San Andres. San Andres is a very beautiful island. It's a uh, not a big island, only 26 kilometers wide. It looks like a seahorse if you've ever looked at the map. Um, but, you know, it's a destination for vacationists. Uh, uh, you know, there's plenty of places to go. Uh, I actually got to swim with, um, with the fishes. They call it the aquarium. And so these are big fish, not the little ones, big ones that just fish around, uh, you know, swim around you. And so that was a, uh, an interesting experience. Very hot, uh, as you can imagine, a tropical island. Uh, but it, it reminded me a lot of Puerto Rico, uh, with the, the, the coconut trees, uh, the mangoes, and the, the um, breadfruit, panas, the breadfruit, there's plenty of them there too. Um, the church that I, um, I uh, preached in, the back of the church, as I, they, they opened the window, it was like the back of my house in Puerto Rico with all the trees and plantains and all that, so I reminisced about that. This is the mission, the Colombian Islands Missions. Uh, you can see this is a rundown building. Uh, it's right next to the beach. This is where we stayed. And, of course, the salt of the air takes a toll on, on the paint and, and the building itself. Uh, this is, um, you know, we, we, we're so thankful for uh, the commodities that we have here in the United States, the resources that a lot of times our conferences had. Not everywhere you go are the same resources. Here, in fact, I was just commenting to Vic, the, the president of, of, of the Colombian Islands Mission, Pastor Gallego, he, um, he is the president, but he has a, a number of other hats because there's really three people in, in the staff. It's just him, then the, uh, the lady who is uh, the vice president, uh, who's actually the treasurer as well and wears a number of other hats, and then his wife who recently joined, she was a teacher, rejoined them to be the secretary uh, of the place and uh, wears a number of other hats. And so it's not like here, the president is just the president. Here that they do a bunch of other things and the resources are, are, are very limited. Uh, they, um, 
a couple of years back after after the COVID fiasco, because you can imagine uh, an island like um, uh, like San Andres, where most of the money that comes in is through tourism, and uh, the pandemic shut everything down. No planes coming in, and everything that that island receives, food, vegetables, everything comes from outside. So imagine no planes coming in during the pandemic. How hard that had to be, and as soon as uh, businesses start to open, people start going back, they get a hurricane that certainly destroyed a lot of the islands, especially Providence, which is a little north of that, and churches, Adventist churches were completely level. And so, uh, you know, we need a lot of prayer for missions like this because they don't have the resources that we have, and yet they, they continue working hard to making sure the gospel continues. This is the Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church where I preached. Um, you know, it's interesting, the culture of uh, the things that I learned. So here, here I, I have a sign there. Um, <clears throat> so, so this island, I mean, is part of Colombia. And so, it, you know, most, uh, if not all of them, speak Spanish. But because of uh, some of the history, how the, um, they got to that island, they came from, uh, you know, if you remember the Mayflower. The Mayflower, the Puritans came to the United States with the Mayflower. But there was a second ship that we often don't hear about. It's the Seaflower. And the sea flower made it to Providence, which is, again, part of, uh, of the mission here, just a little north of, uh, of, uh, of San Andres. Well, the Puritans, of course, also came there, and they had slaves. Well, the slaves escaped to San Andres. And so the, you know, the descendants of everybody lived San Andres far from the slaves. And, and so uh, coming from England, they speak English, but there's a mixture of English and Creole. And so, and now sometimes they even insert the Spanish in it. So you have, you got three different languages combined there. They speak it very fast. And so I was just commenting to some of you that, although of course they they asked me to come and preach in English, um, you know they could understand me because you know I speak in a different way. But I had to pay very close attention to what they were saying because I a lot of times I could not understand them. In fact, one person, one particular gentleman that was coming to the meetings. He spoke to me, and he was speaking in English, but he might as well just speaking in Chinese. I could not understand anything that he said, and he was speaking in English, because there's a mixture there. So, so I want you to notice here, because this is also uh, uh, it's a mixture of uh, uh, Spanish, too. And the top says, you te quiero, mi te quiero, me cala, we te quiero. Now, in, 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 in Spanish, uh, we say, yo te quiero, like I love you, right? So that, you te quiero. And they say it really fast. So it's hard to get it. And, and there, this is obviously a COVID sign. And so, uh, you know, they're talking about cleaning your hands. The Berbana, put on your hands. Keep your, keep your distance. Wash your hands then. And, so they, and they say it really fast. And so this is really the language. And again, very hard to understand them. But it's an interesting history that they have. And so this is one of the great things about going on mission trips. Because you learn about... Uh, so many cultures. And so here's, uh, of course, a sign that they put up. This is a series that I preached there. And very lively. Um, again, if you were to hear the, the songs, um, you know the songs they're singing, but a lot of times you got to pay attention because you may not uh, catch the language. Uh, on Sabbath morning, uh, they have a, a nice group of children there getting, getting their children's story. Um, I actually also had the privilege um, this, the young lady here in the middle and the bottom with the long hair, she has her, her um, head on her, on her arm or hand there. She actually was a, me a member of that church that I preached in, and she's also a firefighter. And so I had the privilege of um, 
meeting with the fire department there in San Andres. And on that day, everybody was there. I had a devotional with them and got to talk to them and meet them. And so they were very nice. And so um, I prayed with them. And so that was a great opportunity uh, to minister uh, to the, uh, the firefighters of the island. And we're told by the, pre the president that the Seventh-day Adventist church is very much loved and appreciated in the island. And so that's a very good thing. Yeah. And of course, here's our last picture. They're saying hi to you. They say, you know, let's say hi to Nashville first, and there they are. So we're thankful. Again, pray for the mission there in, uh, in San Andres, because again, it doesn't have the resources that we have, but the work continues. Amen? Let's, uh, let's have prayer. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of serving you. And now as we uh, continue to study of your word, we pray for the gift of your spirit to give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. You have a study guide in your bulletins, and so remember... The words inside of the blanks will be underlined on the screen. And we are transitioning now to a different topic on the first angel's message. Uh, we're looking at creation, or as the title in your bulletins, the importance of creationism. And interesting that, that you know, creation is also part of uh, the, the, the present truth message, the last message to prepare a, meet, a people to meet Jesus. And I'll ask you by, I'll start by asking you a question. Why do you worship God? Why do you worship? And by the way, our AV room, if they could put the, the PowerPoint here in the, in the back monitor, that will help me. Why do we worship God? Have you thought about that? Why worship him? I mean, I mean, and, and when we think about worshiping him, what does it mean to worship God? What, what does that look like to worship God? You know, oftentimes when we think about worship, we think about, you know, uh, uh, us bowing before a, a, a being that is superior to us. And of course, God is superior to us, so we bow in worship to him. Yeah. And of course, God is superior. Why? But why is God superior? Why is he, why is he saying, Nate, you said it. We find it there in our scripture reading, Revelation 14, 7. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And we have already gone through the judgment part. So we've covered that part of the first angel's message. So we're going to look at that second part. And worship him who made heaven, the earth, and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And so notice God is God because he's a creator. Because he's a creator. And that, that alone entitles him to our worship. If God had not done anything else for us, that act alone uh, uh, makes him deserving of us worshiping him, entitles him to worshiping. And you may wonder, why does God thought it was necessary to include creation as part of the last day message? Why would God do that? Well, maybe it's, uh, uh, it's, it's logical, of course, that you think about worshiping God is logical. Why, why would we need to be reminded of that? But really, if you think about it, Worshiping God and this subject of creation is logical, but only really for Christians. And not all Christians, mind you. Not all Christians. And so I, you know, I ask you, why do we worship God? You may tell us, you may tell me a number of different things. Well, we worship God uh, because he created us. We worship God because he protects us, because he gave us his son, because he forgives us of our sins, because he has promised us eternal life. And we can go on and on with the reasons why we ought to worship God. But they would be only reasons for Christians. But should not Christians worship God? They should worship God too. Why? Well, because uh, uh, why do they need to worship God? Because he created them also, right? He created them and everything in our world. 
And again, why would God uh, think it necessary to include the doctrine of creation as part of the present truth? Well, it, it would seem obvious, but you know, we, we live in a time that to subscribe to the, uh, the, the doctrine of creation can subject one to ridicule. Yeah. You know, we live, you know, think about it. We are, we are in a town of universities, secular universities, and, and this is what they're teaching, you know, in, in, out there. And so when, when someone, a Christian, says, you know, I believe in what Genesis says, well, you must be crazy. There must be something wrong with you. Because, you know, those people that are smart, we, we know better. We subscribe to what science tells us. And, of course, we've already talked about the judgment. We, we talked about 1844, right? The judgment started in 1844. Jesus began his high ministry as, his, uh, his, his ministry as high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. And it's interesting that on that very year, 1844, this gentleman by the name of Robert Chambers, he published this book called The Vestiges of the Natural History of Creation. And this book called into question the biblical teaching that God created the world and all of life in it. And this is a book that inspired Charles Darwin. He wrote on the origin of species in 1859. Of course, we know that Charles Darwin taught that the people and apes descended from the same ancestors. Do you think this is a coincidence? Maybe it is. But I think it's interesting. Well, God is trying to call attention to what, 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 what's happening in the sanctuary, and he went out of his way to make sure that happened. In the story of William Miller in Revelation 10, we talked about that last time. At the same time, Satan is trying to take God out of the picture. Because if, God, if Satan has success in taking God out of the picture, then what do we care about what's happening in heavenly sanctuary? What do we care about Jesus? What do we care about an end-time message? And, and Satan has had a lot of success in this. Some years ago, there was an article public, uh, published in um, a magazine called Slate Magazine. This is a, a magazine that covers uh, uh, current affairs. And, and they talked about this issue of creationism versus evolution. And, and, and they were critical of what was happening as they saw it. So notice what it says. Few issues have divided the American public as bitterly as Charles Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection. Since On the Origin of Species was published in 1859, it has driven a wedge between those who accept that humans have, uh, and this planet's other inhabitants have evolved over time and those who believe that our species was created in its current form with no alterations. Now, while the majority of, of people in Europe and in other, many other parts of the world accept evolution, uh, the United States lags behind. They see this is a bad thing. No, this is four in ten adults in America believe that humans have existed in our present form since the beginning of time, and many religious groups, that number is even higher. So you think about it, you know, 40% they're talking about, 40% of Americans believe, obviously, in, in this concept of creationism, and you may expect this, you know, if you go to a Christian church, that this may be higher. But notice how, how they react to this. This is, this is woeful. This is a bad thing. But now, at long last, there seems to be we hope. National polls show that creationism is beginning to falter. And Americans are, ba are finally starting to move in favor of evolution. After decades of legal battles, resistance to science education, and a deeply rooted culture divide, evolution may be poised to win once and for all. And that's the good news, right? You know, uh, things are, 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 are looking up. You know, now people are, 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 th are, are thinking better. They're, they're throwing away that, that, that fable of creation in favor of evolution. Yeah. Now, some of you may remember 
uh, a number of years ago, because we think about you know, how is this affecting the church. And a number of years ago, some of you may remember there was some controversy in the Adventist church over uh, universities, uh, Adventist universities teaching evolution. Uh, in fact, it, uh, it was a controversy specifically with La Sierra University back in the West Coast. And this is a, uh, it was a, a uh, found in, in inside uh, higher education from, it's 2011, so it's been a number of years, but known as the Seventh-day Adventist University in California must resolve a dispute about teaching evolution in its biology classes or risk losing its status with the church. And so this happened in the church. This happened in, this is, you know, Adventist universities. We think, you know, we're, we're, we're sending our children to Adventist universities and, and uh, they're, they're, they're being taught the right things, certainly being taught what the Bible teaches, but that does not happen all the time. And um, it's interesting, I, you know, when I was in my previous district, I, 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 I was at the Decker Church. This young man had, had come to visit his mother, and he was in one of those universities in California. And we were having a potluck, and I'm not sure how the conversation ended with this, but we were talking about this very subject of creation and evolution. And he, again, he, he's a student in one of the Adventist universities, and he believes in evolution. This is what we're being taught. This is the right thing. We need to subscribe to this. And again, he's a, a regular member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so notice that, you know, we cannot assume that because all of us are here and, and we're Seventh-day Advent, maybe we're baptized, that everybody believes the same thing about this issue. And if you think about it, we are in a university city. Many students come from all over the world to come to universities around us, and they come here. They may come here. Maybe some of you are dealing with this issue and thinking about, well, maybe, maybe creationism is a, a fable. And so here, this is a more recent uh, uh, there's an article I found that does teaching evolution or teaching about evolution in Adventist schools destroy faith in God. And, and so uh, the, uh, the writers of this article were, were looking at what was happening and, and maybe considering, should we, we be teaching evolution in our schools? So notice, uh, they, they say, how many of us Adventist teachers, because this is a, a, um, a, a, an, an article that meant for the teachers, but it says, have heard parents say, my kid went away to college and became an atheist. For example, Brian Ness recounts an anecdote regarding college students who, upon returning to their home churches, confront the minister and say these students have learned of the certainties, notice the certainties of evolution, which put them in a spiritual crisis. Or as Leonard Brand shares regarding a conversation he had with a colleague who explained he once was a Christian, but when he studied evolution in college, he realized that Christianity was not true. So, so notice how, how, how the impact that this can have uh, on a person. It, it's not just the issue of creation, but uh, this can have an impact on everything else that we believe. And in this case, you know, this young man, it's not, it's not that you, you say, well, I'll continue being a Christian, but I just won't believe in, in creation. No, this, this, this impacted everything that he believed. And he became an atheist. He became an atheist. Yeah. So, you know, this concept of this, the issue of evolution has, has creeped into Christianity. We know that. And, 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 you know, Satan is pretty smart. You've got to give it to him. He's pretty smart. You know, many people, when, when we think about evolution, as Charles Darwin uh, seems to suggest, uh, you know, Christian, Christians may back up a little bit. Well, you know, this, this doesn't seem to be all that believable. But if you insert God into the formula, then things may be look a little, uh, a little clearer. And so this concept of evolution has come into Christianity 
in something that's called Theistic Evolution. This is a book, a really interesting book, A Sinful Compromise. A Sinful Compromise because it is indeed a compromise. It is indeed a compromise. So what is Theistic Evolution? Let's just talk about it. So Theistic Evolution, also called evolutionary creation, proposes that God's method of creation was to cleverly design a universe in which everything would naturally evolve. Everything naturally evolves, okay? And, and so he continues, uh, uh, so, and this is a book, I, I believe, by Batsel Barrett. The theistic evolutionist holds a position somewhat between that of an absolute evolutionist and the creationist. He believes that God created the materials of the universe and then guided and superintended the process by which all of life evolved from the very simplest one-celled form on up to the most sophisticated forms that we know today. That we know today. And so notice what's happening here. Uh, uh, um, there's a compromise. This is what the book says, a sinful compromise. Because we, th we thought, well, okay, well, you know, maybe evolution is too far-fetched. But if, but if we insert God into the picture, we say, well, yeah, uh, God created the world, but he created the world through evolution. So now, yeah, we believe that God created the world, but this is the way he created it. But it still contradicts the words of Genesis 1 and 2. So this is, again, a compromise. And again, this is, again, what we're seeing in uh, our world. So, so notice, evolution was God's method of bringing about the present development, though originally the materials were created by God. God did this. And so it's no wonder that, that God, the subject of creation, as described in Genesis 1 and 2, must be part of the end-time present truth and the three angels' messages. Because the world needs to be reminded that it was God who created us in a literal six-day creation. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, some may wonder, Pastor, what difference does it make? It makes no difference, Pastor, because I can believe in evolution and still be a good Adventist, a good Christian. Yeah, you can believe, you know, it's, it's no big deal. We have a difference in opinion about this, but everything else can stay the same. And as we saw, though, from the example uh, of, the, of the young man who, who, who believe in the certainty of evolution and now becomes, becomes an unchristian, the reason for that is simply because we cannot isolate creation and think that everything else is going to stay the same. There are, there are certain implications that oftentimes people don't think about when they, th when they, when they say, well, I don't, I'm going to reject creationism, but everything else is stays the same. They don't think about certain things. And we're going to look at nine different uh, uh, implications, uh, uh, people that, just things that people don't think about when they say, you know, I'm going to you know, believe in evolution, but everything else stays the same. So let's look at these things. And again, you have your, your study guide. You can uh, write these down on your study guide because this is very important. Okay, and we saw uh, uh, from the opening video, uh, there's an intention, Psalm 8. And why, do we, why, why, why is this? Well, again, the first implication of rejecting biblical position on creationism is that Scripture takes a position on this. Scripture takes a position on this. So you see there, uh, Psalm 33, 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. And so this is just one, clear, one, one example. There's, there's a plethora of examples, uh, Bible passages in Scripture that say that the Bible writers believe in the literal six-day creation story. Okay? They believe that God created the world by His Word. So notice, Scripture takes a position on this. Now, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is infallible, right? It is a trustworthy Word of God. We believe it from Genesis to Revelation. 
But if, but if, but if now, if we, if we decide to say, well, okay, now I'm compromising. I want to be more in, t- in tune with science and say, all right, I'm going to believe in evolution or theistic evolution, then the Bible is wrong about creation. Because, because when you read the story of Genesis 1 and 2, it's talking about a literal six-day creation story. And, and the writers of the Bible themselves believe that God created the world by his word in a literal six-day creation. So if, if revolution is true or theistic evolution is true, then the Bible is wrong about this. And, and, and so the, the next logical leap that we must take is that if the Bible was wrong about creation, what else is it wrong about? That's the only logical conclusion. It must be wrong about a number of other subjects. And then who who determines what is right and what is wrong? And so the reliability of Scripture is thrown out. And and again, people don't think about this. Because if you believe in evolution, friends, then you don't believe 100% that the Bible is reliable. That at the very least, in the subject of creation, which is foundational, is wrong. And now it's it's not trustworthy. It's not trustworthy. So that's the first thing that goes out, is your trustworthiness on the, and the reliability of Scripture if evolution is true. Because the Bible takes a position on this. So that's the first one. Scripture takes a position on this. The, the next one is, as you may imagine, Jesus took a position on this. And here's an example. In Matthew 19, 4, have you not read that he created, that he cre- he who created them uh, from the beginning made them male and female? And of course, Jesus is, is he's, he's going back to Genesis one and two, he created, you know, who, who was there to create them? Jesus, you know, we we're told he was the active agent in creation. And so he, he, he's not simply quoting uh, from, from Genesis. He's telling, listen, this is what I did. I was there. Jesus took a position on this, made a male and female at the beginning as a direct act of God. But if creation or, um, or a revolution or, or theistic evolution are correct, then Jesus was wrong about this. Now think about that. Now some will argue, well, maybe, maybe it, it, that was just the, the, the writers, you know, Matthew, he, he wrote it that way. That's not necessarily what Jesus said. Well, if that's the case, then again, that questions the reliability of Scripture because now we're saying that, 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 that the writers worded it out in such a way so that they communicated what they wanted to say, but it was not true. Again, we throw away the reliability of Scripture. But if we believe that the reliability of Scripture, that, that, that this is exactly what Jesus said, then Jesus was wrong. Now, think about this clearly, carefully. If Jesus was wrong about this, can he be the perfect son of God and Messiah? No, of course not. Of course not. So that, that throws away what we believe about Jesus himself. Because not only the Bible supports a literal six-day creation, but Jesus himself supported creation. And so if Jesus was wrong about creation, then, we, then can we trust that he is the perfect son of God? It's a fair question, friends. And again, it's, these, are, these are questions that often people do not think about when they say, well, I'm just going to reject the story of creation. So notice the second one. Jesus took a position on this. And here's the third one. It's very, very interesting. The relationship to the plan of salvation. Now, according to the Bible, God created the world perfect, right? It was very good. It was harmonious. It was lovely. It was free of taint of sin and death. But Adam and Eve sinned. That put a wall of separation between us and God. And consequently, death came as a result of sin. Death was the penalty of sin, wasn't it? We see in in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Why? Because all sin. So, and this is very important, friends. The Bible tells us that death is the result of sin. 
the wages of sin is death. However, if evolution or theistic evolution are correct, then, friends, then death was simply part of the process. Think about it, the the survival of the fittest. Uh, For this to be true, then the weakest had to die. That was just the process of creation. So death was just simply part of the process that God used to create it. And if death was simply part of the process of creation, then death is not our enemy. And, And if death is not our enemy, what in the world did Jesus die to save us from? There wouldn't be no reason, friends. Then Jesus died on the cross and he wasted his time because death is simply part of the process. It's not the enemy. And so that calls into question the whole great controversy issue and what did Jesus came to do. If evolution is is true, theistic evolution is true, then you have to question what Jesus did for us, if indeed he did anything at all. But at the very least, he wasted his time. Even if he died on the cross, and you can prove that historically, he died for nothing. Because he himself knew that death was part of the process because he was the one who created us in the first place. So the relationship with the plan of salvation goes down the hill. And you think about what God wants to do for us, the, the new earth, right? So again, here's Genesis 1.31. God started the world. He says, then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Everything was great. Everything was very good. No suffering, no pain, no death. Because at the time, sin had not yet peaked this ugly head. Right? And, and this is the beginning. We know how God is going to end it. The promise in Revelation 21.4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So, so according to the Bible, God started it this way, and God will end it this way. But if evolution or theistic evolution are correct, and then we can't... We can't totally trust what Genesis 1 and 2 tells us, then that tells us that at the very least, in the end, God is going to use a different formula to create the new world, right? Because here, there's no question about it. There's no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, all right? So, so why would God use at the end in the new creation a formula different than what he used in the beginning? It would make, it would make no sense, The fact is, Genesis tells us that it was very good, that it was free from death, free from sorrow, free from crime, because sin had not happened yet. But again, evolution, theistic evolution, will suggest that death is part of it. It's necessary. And if there's death, there's suffering, there's pain, there's crying. You see the inconsistencies here. Furthermore, think about uh, the concept of evolution. It took millions and millions and billions of years for, for creation to become what it is today, right? Well, if God is going to recreate the world, will it take God billions of years to recreate the new world? And, and, if, and if you argue, well, no, in the end, God is going to recreate the world like he says there in Genesis, or rather in Revelation, by snapping his finger, as it were. Well, if God can do that at the end, why didn't he do it at the beginning? Too many inconsistencies, friends. And people don't often think about these things when they say, well, you know, I am going to accept evolution. I'm going to reject creationism, but everything else can stay the same. It it, it just doesn't make sense, friends, and it can't happen. It cannot happen. Here's the fifth one. The implications for the character of God. 1 John 4, 8, we know it well. He does not love, does not know God. Why? Because God, God is love. Everything that God did parts from the premise of that is what he is. 
No, it doesn't say that God is loving. We know God is loving, but it doesn't say God loves us, although we know he loves us. It says God is love. That's what he is. And everything he does parts from that premise. And I've said this before, that whatever doctrine you believe, you must be able to justify the doctrine with the God of love. If you cannot justify that doctrine with a God of love, you throw the doctrine away. Because God is love is foundational. It's what he is. And so think about it. Logically, can we say that we can justify God being love with a doctrine as barbaric as the, uh, uh, this evolution or theistic evolution is? With the survival of the fierce, with, with the suffering and the pain. It's just, it's impossible. And so now, we must, we must question the character of God. Is he really love? Huh? If, of course, God is not love, then why would you want to have anything to do with that God? Huh? In fact, I would say that a God that, that, uh, that, that, that creates this way and this method is just the, the same God that, that makes sinners suffer for eternity in a place called hell. He's a sadist, not a God of love. And, I want to, I, and again, this is part of what Satan is doing. If he can convince you of that, and again, many people, I, I've told you that, I, I actually quote uh, in my book uh, uh, um, this man named Jerry who, who came to me because he was, he, was, he was trying to justify a God of love, but the things he had heard among them was hell. Uh, but again, if we look at evolution, the same thing happens. This is really not a God of love. I don't want to serve a God like this, and this is what Satan is doing. You know, we abandon God. Again, again, this is why God is calling us to worship him in the... Um, in this issue of, of the last day message, okay? Here's another one. Implication on the worth of human beings. Genesis 1.27 tells us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So notice again, it was God, by direct action, intentionally created humanity. Now, we live in a time, as you probably know, that... There's a great amount of people in our, in our society today who suffer from mental illness. You know, the, 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 you know things like depression and anxiety. And, and again, I don't want to minimize these things because these are serious issues and sometimes have to do with some imbalances of chemicals in the brain. But a lot of people are looking to feel better about themselves. This issue of self Esteem. This is why uh, um, we look at social media and, and, and all the time I, I'm watching people going like this, taking these selfies and, and, and then putting them everywhere because they want to feel better about who they are. And they do all kinds of things to, to feel better about who they are, whether they, they put on jewelry because they want to feel better or, 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 they, or they dress in a certain way to want to feel better. The point is they don't feel good about themselves. It is no accident. How can you feel good about yourself if your concept of your origin is that you came from a monkey? It, 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 it just makes no sense. In fact, some people will argue that, that, you know, this is the kind of thing that we're seeing, you know, when, when we believe we, we came from our ancestors came from apes, we, we start to behave like them. And, and this is what we see in our society today anyway. But, you know, God thinks that you're special. You know, I remember, um, I may have told you this before, but when I was a little boy, my mom took me to a doctor's office. I was sick, I guess. And, and I remember uh, I was seeing uh, uh, this, this flyer on the wall. I, I don't know why I remember this. I always 
uh, uh, have this image, this flyer on the wall. It was a picture of a little boy with his arms crossed like this. And, and, this, and the saying on the flyer was, I know I am somebody special because God does not create garbage. And that's what it said. And that's the reality, friends. You are somebody valuable. You're somebody special. God gave his son for you. And so when we think about this, you know, of course, you know, we're not, if, if, if I am a, if believe in evolution or theistic evolution, then I'm just a product of an accident. I'm, there's nothing special about me. And no wonder why we're living in a society where everything, unfortunately, we, again, the, the mental illness are, is up. In fact, I, I read somewhere that the most prescribed medication in the United States are antidepressants. And Dr. Hardy, you may, you know, may have looked into that. So again, the implications on for human beings. And here's one that is specifically for us Seventh-day Adventists. Implications on the Sabbath. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Uh, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because then he rested from all his work where he got created and he had made. Okay? When God wrote the fourth commandment, in Exodus chapter 20, he gives the reason why we ought to remember to keep the Sabbath day, right? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So notice, friends, according to the Bible, the Sabbath is a memorial of creation. The Sabbath is a memorial of what? Creation. Uh, of creation, of a literal six-day creation. But if you believe in theistic evolution or evolution, friends, that the world was created in millions of years, that each day in Genesis symbolized a, a period of millions of years, then the reason for keeping the Sabbath is thrown away. You have no reason to keep the Sabbath. Now think about you, you Seventh-day Adventists, who maybe you're a student here, maybe you're struggling with this, but the reality is that if evolution or theistic evolution is correct, then you should leave because the Sabbath is nothing special. Because the reason for the Sabbath is a literal six-day creation. If God did not create the world in six days, there's no reason to keep the Sabbath. There's no, no reason at all. And then we have marriage. We, talk, we were talking about this earlier in our, in our discipleship class. Marriage was created at the beginning. We see, and Jesus quoted from it, Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage, friends, has a divine origin. It has a divine origin. It goes right back there to Genesis. It's more than just a contract of convenience. But unfortunately, this is what it's become. This is what it's turned out to be. It says here, um, when, a, when a man and a woman become husband and wife, it is what God has joined together. So it's not just what the pastor is doing. It's not what just uh, the society or, 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 or the laws of Tennessee. No, God, what God has joined again. So marriage is an institution created and defined by God as a loving and exclusive union between one man and one woman. Let me say that again. Marriage is an institution created by God between one man and one woman. It is no accident that we live in a time where society has redefined marriage. And now everything goes. And, and, and the laws of our land specify, yes, and I believe in equal rights, friends, but this is a total going against what the Word of God says. We, I, and, and listen, we, we ought to love everybody. God loves us all. But that doesn't mean he approves of all the, of the downhill of society that we're seeing today. Man with man, women with women. Who knows if, if the Lord, if Jesus doesn't come in 20 years, who knows what people would be married? Because anything goes now, friends. 
No. If marriage wasn't created, and when marriage has lost its significance as divine covenant instituted by God in creation, its nature is open to all kinds of definitions and interpretations. This is exactly what we're seeing today. It's no accident. This is why Satan, I, I said earlier, Satan knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And finally, our evangelistic mission. Remember, uh, the, the main thing about this three angels' message and present truth is that we're told to go to every tribe, tongue, and people to proclaim this message or these messages. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching, things, teaching them all the things that I have commanded you. And friends, when we, when we go out in our evangelistic mission, we should go out there with this on hand and saying, this is the reliable word of God. This is our manual. This is our foundation. But, how, but, but think about this. How can I be successful in evangelism and bring people to Christ and say, listen, we ought to be, we believe in the word of God. But listen, don't trust this part because this part can't be taken seriously. Huh? This, this part is not science. And we're more scientific today. Friends, when you begin to, to question the word of God, you lose your authority, you lose your reliability. Amen. You lose your credibility. And so friends, uh, again, the, the problem is that many people don't think about these things. You know, the, the reality is that there's just too many inconsistencies. I, I, I often say, I've, I've had conversations with people, this is very interesting. <clears throat> Because it, it talks about the fact that we should be pre preaching this message, telling people, and, and taking this seriously. I, I was telling my wife about this. Uh, this was uh, probably a little over a month ago now. I was contacted on, on social media by an atheist, right? And he was, in his mind, he was telling me, that he was doing me a favor. He's trying to evangelize me, as it were. But, but, but he's, he's an atheist, right? And he's serious about this. We need to tell, teach the world about the reality of evolution and that God did not create the world. Uh, you're being fooled. We need to do that. And he was, he, he was pumped up. He was, he was happy that he's sharing what he saw as the truth to me. Yeah? So Satan's doing evangelism now. I, I thought this guy was a church guy. Tell him, no, 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 I'm trying to help you here because I love you and I want you to believe in evolution. Give, give me a break. There's too many inconsistencies. And I, you know, uh, uh, I'm glad that there are uh, you know, scientists out there, there that are believing creation. I mean, it's not just the, you know, you can't argue that say, well, only fools, only uneducated people believe in, in, in creation because there are highly educated people too who, uh, who believe in, uh, in creation. This man is named Pierre, I probably pronounced and mispronounced this. Where's Cummins? How do you say that? Pierre Lecomte de Noy, is that right? Is that I say that right? Oh, all right, good enough, good enough. <laughs> This is a mathematician, and he explained or examined the laws of probability for a single molecule of high dissymmetry to be formed by the action of chance. This is what he was trying to do. And so he found out that on average, the, the, the time needed to form one such molecule, again, of high dissymmetry to be formed by the action of chance, would be about 10 to the 253rd power. 
Well, that's a big number. A 10 with 253 zeros behind it. In other words, he said it would take billions of years for one such molecule to be formed. And he goes on to say, but let us admit that no matter how small the chance it could happen, one molecule could be created by such astronomical odds as chance. However, one molecule is of no use. Hundreds of millions of identical ones are necessary. Thus, either you have to admit the miracle or doubt the absolute truth of science. This is why I tell people, um, I can't be an atheist because I just don't have that much faith. <laughs> I told that to this gentleman that was contacting me. I, I said, yeah, I, can, you know, yeah, I have that faith. He said, I can have that faith for you. you know, I have that faith. I, I don't have that much faith. Because it, it really, you have, to, you have to believe a lot. It's easier, friends, to believe in, in creation than to believe in this, uh, the, the astronomical odds of all this happening by accident. Thanks. Yeah. So again, as we can see, rejecting uh, uh, the, the literal six-day creation story cannot be isolated. It cannot be isolated. You thinking that everything else will stay the same. It's like a row of dominoes, right? So rejecting the Genesis story account, a uh, creation account, will bring down everything else that we believe. And again, this is why at the beginning, this, this young man uh, who, who believed in, uh, uh, in, in evolution now stopped becoming a Christian altogether. Because it's the reality. You, you reject this story, that's foundational. Everything else is going to come down, friends. Yeah. And so again, the message of the, uh, of the first angel still, yeah, fear God and give glory to him, but judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water. And worship, friends, is key in the book of Revelation. Mentioned 33 times in the book of Revelation. Because at the end, the key issue is worship. Everybody's going to worship somebody. Why do you worship God? Why do you worship God? You know, I believe that um, perhaps the primary reason why creation is part of the present truth message is because it tells us something about God. You know, the God who, who created the world simply by speaking it can handle any challenge that you're going through in your life. Whatever impossibilities you think you're facing right now, God can change it and transform it. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that Satan wants to obscure. He doesn't want you to know about that God who can handle any problem that you have. The God who created the world is the same God who came, became a man, and died in your place. That is the God that we worship. That is the God that Satan is trying to take out of the place. But we know better. We believe in the reliable word of God. We believe in the God of creation. We believe in the God of redemption. This is present truth, friends. This is the truth that we must tell the world. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, 
come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.